Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 27. We'll continue our series on using the law lawfully, looking at the law in the Old Testament, <clears throat> seeing how it applies to us as Gentile believers in the New Testament time. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the, the law concerning redeeming things that are vowed to God. And it, it's got some, a lot of interesting aspects to it. We're, we're not going to cover just anywhere near the, uh, the detail that it needs to be covered, but we'll at least get an overview of it. <clears throat> so in Leviticus chapter 27, <clears throat> let's look at verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, <clears throat> When a man shall make a singular vow, the persons shall be for the Lord by thy estimation. Okay, and so that's an unusual sounding verse there. Um, when it says there, a man shall make a singular vow, the, the actual word there uh, doesn't, in, in Hebrew, is, it can be translated as singular. When we think of singular nowadays, we think of the opposite of plural. That's not always what the word singular has, has meant. It used to have more of the same meaning as the Hebrew word, uh, which was that it's something spectacular, something that only happens once, something, something amazing, unique. Um, so that's that's what it, the word singular used to mean, and that's what the Hebrew word that's in this passage actually means. So when it's talking about a man shall make a singular vow, it's when a man shall make a, a really special, spectacular, unique vow. Uh, and the type of vow it's talking about is a vow where a man vows to give either himself or uh, someone in his family to God. And so it's, it's a very spectacular vow. We think of Hannah vowing to give Samuel, her son, to God. I, that was a, a very unique, very spectacular, like, wow, she she offered to give her son to God for his entire life. So that, that's the type of vow that we're talking about. Uh, another example would be uh, Jephthah, and we're, we should all be familiar with the story of Jephthah. He's going off to battle, and as he's going off to, to battle, he uh, promises to God and makes a vow, if you give me the victory, the first thing I see coming out of my house when I return I'll give that to you, excuse me, and offer it to you as a burnt offering. And he comes back, and his daughter is the first thing that comes out of, out of the house. And the Bible doesn't really say how the story ends there. It just leaves it with he's going into mourning because it's the fact that it's because of the fact that his daughter is uh, what came out of his house first. But that type of a vow, that's a very strong, spectacular type of vow. You don't expect to see that every day. That's, that's something really amazing to see someone promise to give God uh, him, his children or uh, himself or something like that. So that's what's being talked about here, and we can see that as we read through the rest of the passage. But there's, uh, in this passage, in Leviticus 27, there are several types of things that are promised to God. The most spectacular one is right at the beginning where it talks about people. Uh, and God allows for the things that are vowed to him to be redeemed back so that you don't have to actually sacrifice the thing that you vowed to God. And you could redeem it back for a price. And for the people, there's no statement anywhere in here about, okay, they have to be sacrificed for God unless you redeem them back. It's just automatically assumed they're going to be redeemed back. And so that's what Jephthah should have uh, done if he had been familiar with the law. Whether he did or not, we don't know. But that's what he should have done if he's familiar with the law. But let's, let's look at this. Uh, the value of things that are being redeemed back 
from God. And the first one is the people. And uh, we can look through verse number 8. Let's start in verse number 3. In thy estimation, well, let's go back to verse number 2. Speaking to the children of Israel, say unto them, When a man shall make a singular vow, the persons shall be for the Lord by thy estimation. And thy estimation shall be of the male from 20 years old, even unto 60 years old. Even thy estimation shall be 50 shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary. And if it be a female, then, by, then thy estimation shall be 30 shekels. And if it be from 5 years old, even unto 20 years old, then thy estimation shall be of the male 20 shekels, and for the female 10 shekels. And if it be from a month old, even unto 5 years old, then thy estimation shall be of the male five shekels of silver, and for the female thy estimation shall be three shekels of silver. And if it be from sixty years old and above, if it be a male, then thy estimation shall be fifteen shekels, and for the female ten shekels. But if he be, for, be poorer than thy estimation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall value him. According to his ability that vowed, shall the priest value him. Okay, so here we have the, the different <clears throat> amounts that you could pay to redeem back a, a person that you have vowed to give to God. Uh, and if you look in the, the first section there, you have the men from 20 years old to 60 years old. It says they could be redeemed back for 50 shekels. Well, we don't really understand the value of 50 shekels. In today's economy, you know, given inflation and all that, if you were to take 50 shekels silver and Based on what they could buy with 50 shekels back then and what we can buy with our money now, it would come out to about $25,000. Uh, so, yes? So, when you say if I would have vowed, like Jephthah vowed his, vowed his daughter, well, the first one trying to be his daughter. Correct. Okay. Now, so you're saying, and, and what Jephthah had vowed was that he would sacrifice the first one he would see. Right. So are you talking about people who vow to sacrifice a person right. to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Yep, to sacrifice a person to the Lord, to give the person to the Lord, any any type of vow to uh, say, this this belongs to you, God. Uh, and this was how they could be redeemed uh, and not have to actually be offered as a burnt offering. Or not even, they didn't have to be given to the priest to, to stay with the priest like Hannah did with Samuel. Now, there's no law against her doing that. She could. That's perfectly fine. But if she had wanted to redeem Samuel back, she could have. So in the sense of vowing, if you're poor and you can vow, vow one of your children to some, that would have to be to God. Mm-hmm. As a okay. All right. right. Yep. And so, and so anyway, we see the the males, uh, men between 20 and 60, 50 shekels. That comes to about uh, twenty-five thousand dollars. So this was not a light vow. This is not just, oh, you know, I'm going to give my son to God, no big deal. Here you go, God. And, oh, okay, I'll buy him back. Here's, here's your uh, $10. I'll get my son back. You know, it's, it's not a light vow. It's $25,000. That's a, that's a pretty hefty sum. And maybe for some of you it's not quite so hefty. For me, it's a really hefty sum. That's, that's a lot of money. Uh, the women between 20 and 60, would the amount you buy them back is $15,000. 30 shekels comes to $15,000. And uh, there are a lot of people that look at this and say, okay, the, the men are worth more than the women. This is the Bible being discriminatory and all that kind of stuff. It's not really that the men are better than the women or, or more valuable 
know, per se as persons uh, than women is that the men have a greater ability to generate more produce. So the value of a person in this case is determined by how much produce they can generate uh, in the field or in whatever field of labor that they're in. If they're a carpenter, you have the amount of produce a carpenter can generate, the carpenter can generate. You have the um, farmer, the amount of produce a farmer can generate. You know, if he's working with dairy animals, you know, how much, how good is he at uh, getting milk and uh, producing milk? So, you know, you have the, all of the value is more about how much labor they can can produce. And women obviously have less physical ability to uh, create value from a, an agricultural community. Uh, now, in our community, that's very technological. Uh, the women excel very well. Uh, in an agricultural community. Uh, the women would not be able to produce as much as the men in work. Do you have another question? Yeah. Was it the norm for folks to vow a family member? No. Sacrifice? No. It, that's why it mentions it as a singular vow, mm -hmm. meaning it's a spectacular. It's, it's very mm -hmm. unusual. Okay. Um, but God recognized the possibility. And we do have two instances in Scripture where it occurred. Well, yeah. So, and, and, and it was also Abraham. Abraham's going to give up Isaac, Isaac. right. God yeah. stepped in, I thought, right, that's good. Right. I didn't realize that. Uh, no. right. And the Jephthah, I mean, could have thought that his daughter would be Right, yeah. Yeah, he was probably thinking, you know, kind of like we would think, oh, my faithful dog's going to run out. He's probably thinking, you know, my, the, the favored sheep or, or my favorite horse is going to run out or, you know, something like that. Anyway, let's let's look at the the other values here. So, one of the things that uh, one of the ways you can tell that this is talking about the value in the field is that it's not just separated men and women; it's also separated by ages. And so you have between twenty and sixty; those are your productive years where where the the people can actually get a lot of, of hard labor done. Uh, below twenty, you know, then you're looking at children. They're not going to get a whole lot of hard labor done. You know, your your 16 to 18 year olds might be able to, or 16 to 20 year olds might be able to get a, a good bit of labor. But even then, they have the strength, but they don't have the knowledge of the adult men, and so they're not going to be able to get as much done as the adult men. And also, they're more prone to distraction because they're you know, wanting to show off for some girl over here. Uh, so they're they're not valued as high. So the the boys between ages of five and 20 are valued at uh, 20 shekels, which comes to $10,000. Uh, and so if they wanted to redeem, if they promised their son to God and they want to redeem that son back to themselves, uh, then they, they pay 20 shekels, which is $10,000. Uh, for the girls between ages of 5 and 20, it was 10 shekels, which is $5,000. And there's a, a difference between the step from boys to girls of that age and the step from men to women of the, the other age. Um, 25,000 down to, to 15,000 is not the same kind of a percentage jump as 10,000 down to 5,000. Because 15,000 is a little more than halfway. Uh, whereas if you go from uh, 10,000 down to 5,000, that is halfway. So it, these amounts aren't really uh, set on a particular scale. It's just, it looks to me like God just said, hey, I'm going to pick a big number. And, uh, put it in there just so that you don't treat this vow as if it's something light.
And so God, God picked big numbers that were just round figures that could be uh, given easily and remembered easily. You think it could have been a deterrent? For yeah. Folks to right. Yeah, a, a deterrent. Yeah, it, as a deterrent to say this is not something light, and you can you can just everyone do this and brag and all that. Is this is something heavy, something that uh, you need to give a lot of thought to if you're thinking about this. Uh, and so then you have also the the ages between one month and five years. For boys, it was five shekels, which is twenty five hundred dollars, and for girls, it was three shekels, which is fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, and so. That goes back to the same distance between 50 and 30 of the 20 to 60 year olds. And so, you know, it, it just seems to me that God was just grabbing kind of round numbers that people could easily remember, but that were still large and uh, make people think before they uh, said, I'm going to vow this person to God. All right, and then you have the over 60 crowd, and they go back down from the 20 to 60, so the over 60 crowd went way back down uh, to 15 shekels for the men and uh, 10 shekels uh, for the women. So 15 shekels would be about $7,500, uh, 10 shekels would be about $5,000. So, but everyone had this value that if you vowed this person to God, uh, you weren't to just sacrifice them, burn them up as an offering, you were to redeem them, pay that amount of money. And then there was the provision for uh, if someone, like for example, Hannah may have been in the case where uh, she couldn't afford to purchase Samuel back. Uh, there was a provision for that. And you can look at that in verse number 8. But if he be poorer than thy estimation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall value him. According to his ability that vowed, shall the priest value him. Okay, so you have a whole bunch of hymns there, and it's hard to follow which which hymn is being spoken of where. But what it's saying is if if I vow to give my son to God and I can't afford to pay back, say if it was my son, it would be uh, the $10,000. So if I can't afford to pay back the $10,000 in order to, to keep my son with me and, and not have him spend all the time uh, serving God at the temple, then I could come to the priest and the, the priest could just say, okay, how much do you... Uh, have. How much can you afford to give for your son? And then I'll tell him how much I can afford, and the priest determines based on how much I can afford, the priest will then determine how much I have to give in order to purchase my son back. So it, the priest had full re full liberty here. He, if I said I can only afford a dollar, the priest would say, well, you know, that's all you can afford? I'll take it. We'll take the dollar. We'll, we'll treat it as the widow's might. You can have your son back redeem him from the Lord for just one dollar. Uh, and so that allowed for people that, that made hasty vows that they weren't able to fulfill, so they weren't able to pay back the this full, say, $25,000 uh, that they owed for, for an adult son they had vowed to the Lord. Uh, God still made provision so that in their, in their want, they could still uh, redeem their children back to them or or whoever it was that they had of their family that they had vowed to the Lord. Okay, so this is this is the solution that Jephthah should have sought uh, when he vowed to sacrifice his daughter, as we mentioned several times now. And every time that I see someone uh, on Facebook or wherever 
the skeptics saying how awful the Bible is because it talks about Jephthah uh, sacrificing his daughter and you know, the Bible accepts human sacrifice because he's never condemned for it and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I direct them back here to Leviticus 27 and say, well, according to the law, whether Jephthah followed the law or not, we don't know. But according to the law, Jephthah could have purchased his daughter back for either, if she was below 20, it would have been uh, 10 shekels, or if she was over 20, it would have been 30 shekels. Uh, and he could have purchased her back and not have had the sacrifice. Or, or the other possibility uh, that many people see there is that he could have had her uh, just go and live in the temple uh, for the rest of her life, like Samuel. That would, neither one of those would have been a necessity. All you had to do was pay the money. If he couldn't afford to pay the 30 shekels, then just go to the priest, tell the priest what he can't afford, and pay what he can't afford. Uh, and so God made provision for stuff like that so that no human being ever has to be sacrificed uh, to fulfill a vow would, unto God. Would these vows have to be recorded? Well, I mean, because I know it talks about going to the priest, mm -hmm. you know, if you didn't have, but I mean, the priest doesn't know that you were about right. it anyway. Right. Well, there's no mention of, of the recording of the vows, uh, but the Jews kept meticulous records on everything. Uh, and so it would, just judging by the, the practice among Jews, then yes, it would have been recorded. Uh, because, the, for example, being a scribe, among the Jews, that is a record keeper. Yeah, That's what a scribe was. Being a scribe was a very lofty position. Uh, and so that, and you see the scribes mentioned over and over and over again in, in Scripture. And we have lots of records from uh, the different scribes that, that whose works have been preserved down through history. And so the, the scribes uh, kept records of just about everything. They kept meticulous records. Now, a lot of the historical records were lost when the, uh, the library at Alexandria was burned. Uh, a lot of them were stored there. And then when that library was burned, then we lost all that. But we do have, we have records from people commenting about the records that were in Alexandria so that we know they're there or that they were there. But we are no longer able to get to those because they were burned. All right, so that's, that's for people. Now, there's also animals. Let's go to Leviticus 27, verse number 9. And if it be a beast, whereof men bring an offering unto the Lord, all that any man giveth of such unto the Lord shall be holy. He shall not alter it, nor change it, a good for a bad, or a bad for a good. And if he shall at all change, beast for beast, then it and the exchange thereof shall be holy. And if it be an unclean beast, of which they do not offer a sacrifice unto the Lord, then he shall present the beast before the priest, and the priest shall value it, whether it be good or bad. As thou valuest it, who art the priest, so shall it be. But if he will at all redeem it, then he shall add a fifth part thereof unto thy estimation. Okay, so here we have a man has promised, let's say he's promised his horse to, the, to God. Well, the horse is an unclean animal, so it can't be sacrificed. You know, if it was a sheep, then yeah, they, they could sacrifice the sheep that he vowed to give to God. It's a horse, he's an unclean animal, can't sacrifice him unto God. Uh, there's two options here. Either the priest can can say that the horse is worth this much money that, that's required of the priest to do. So the, the horse is worth $500. And the priest can accept that as a $500 donation to God. And uh, it can be 
the horse can then become the possession of the priest, or if the man says, okay, you valued the horse at $500, I would like to keep the horse for myself and just give you the value, then the priest can say, okay, add 20%, so we add another, uh, was it $100 onto that, and now you, you owe the priest $600. And so if he could uh, pay the priest $600 and keep his horse that he has vowed to God. And so this is not uh, stated anywhere to be the, the singular type of vow, that spectacular, unique vow. This is just a normal thing that this would, what the condition that Jephthah would have been in if his horse had run out to greet him instead of his daughter when he had made that vow to God. Uh, he could have either allowed the horse to become the possession of the priest, or he could have purchased the horse back for you know, 20% more than the value that the priest uh, determined the horse was worth. Okay, so that's the, the animals. You also have, in addition to animals, you have houses. Uh, Jephthah could have vowed to give God his entire house. Let's look at verse number 14. <clears throat> and when a man shall sanctify his house to be holy unto the Lord, <clears throat> then the priest shall estimate it, whether it be good or bad. As the priest shall estimate it, so it shall, so shall it stand. And if he that sanctified it will redeem his house, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of thy estimation unto it, and it shall be his. Okay, and the same thing applies to a house as applied to the horse. They can let the house go to the priest <clears throat> and let the priest keep it, or if he wants to redeem it back and still have a place to live, then he pays 20% more. Uh, the, the fifth part, again, onto the value of the house. So if the priest values the house at $100,000, then to redeem the house back from the priest, he would have to pay $120,000. Okay, so that's that's houses. And then you have land. Land is a little more tricky. Because the land in Israel didn't actually belong excuse me, to the individual people. The land belonged to God. Because God is the one that that won all the battles to conquer it. God is the one that had ownership of the land. And he, he granted the land to the people for specific uh, use. <clears throat> one of the requirements of that land grant from God to the people was that the land never fully pass out of the possession of the family that it was originally given to. So you, know, you have like Naboth's vineyard that he said he could not sell to, to Ahab because it had been in his family for generations and generations. Well, that was true. He couldn't just give the vineyard to the king and say, this is now your possession. It was required for the possession to remain within the family. Now, he could have given it to the king for a short period of time, up until the year of Jubilee. When you have the year of Jubilee, all the land goes back to the original family that owned that land. And so that's the way God set up the land in Israel. So for, if you were to then vow to give your land to the priest, well, you couldn't actually give the land to your priest because it didn't belong to you. The land belonged to God. Uh, so what you would do when you vowed to give the land to the priest is you were vowing uh, to give the priest the use, use of that land until the year of Jubilee. Uh, and so that changes the value of the land significantly. So let's look at verses 16 through 24 and see how God handles that. And if a man shall sanctify unto the Lord some part of a field of his possession, 
Then thy estimation shall be according to the seed thereof, an omer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. So basically you're valuing it based on how much seed it's going to produce because the land itself is not being given, it's the seed, it's the use of that land uh, that you're, that's being given to. So it's valued at how much barley seed it can produce. And an omer of barley seed is going to be 50 shekels. Remember 50 shekels, that's $25,000. That's a lot of money here that, that we're looking at. Okay, in verse 17, if he sanctify his field from the year from the year of Jubilee, according to thy estimation, it shall stand. So this is saying, if it's in the year of Jubilee, and he says, I'm giving this land to God, then you just estimate it based on the, the one year's worth of seed that it can produce, of barley seed that that land can produce. Uh, and so we'll look at verse number 18. But if he sanctify his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon unto him the money according to the years that remain, even unto the year of Jubilee, and it shall be abated from thy estimation. So you count how many years it's going to be until the next Jubilee, and that's how many years of produce you're going to get. And so you multiply one year's worth of produce by the number of years left. That's the value of the land uh, that's being donated. Verse 19, and if he sanctified the field, if he that sanctified the field will in any wise redeem it, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of thy estimation unto it, and it shall be assured to him. So again, add 20% back in order to redeem it to yourself. If he will not redeem the field, or if he have sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it goeth out in the jubilee, shall be holy, <coughs> excuse me, holy unto the Lord, as a field devoted, the possession thereof shall be the priest. So if you say, I don't want to redeem the field, there's four years left until the next jubilee, and I don't want to redeem the field, then what God says is, you don't give the field right then to the priest if you're not going to redeem it. You wait until the next jubilee. And at, after the next jubilee, that's when the field goes to the priest, and the priest gets it for the entire seven years between jubilees. And so you can't donate the land that's just a, a partial donation of your land, just, just four years' worth of, of use of the land. It was you, you're donating an entire seven-year period, uh, and that was the requirement of the law. Verse 23, Then the priest shall reckon unto him the worth of thy estimation, even unto the year of Jubilee, and he shall give thine estimation in that day as a holy thing unto the Lord. In the year of Jubilee the field shall return unto him of whom it was bought, even to him in whom the possession of the land did belong. And all thy estimation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall be the shekel. Okay, so, so that's the, the way they handled the field. It was, the value was determined based on the number of years until the next jubilee. If you chose not to redeem it for that value, then it would become the possession of the priest at the next jubilee. And the priest would own possession or keep possession of that land up until the following jubilee, and then it would go back to the original owner. Okay, so, so you have several things here. You have the, the redemption of people that are vowed to the Lord. You have the redemption of animals. Now, you couldn't redeem a clean animal that was vowed to the Lord, and that had to be sacrificed. But unclean animals you could re redeem uh, for 20% more than, than the value. The houses, again, you could redeem for 20% more than the value, and the land could be redeemed for 20% more than the value. So that's the law 
regarding the redemption of things that are promised to God. Now, as far as a New Testament application, there's not really a direct application of this uh, to us as Christians because this is dealing with the, the old economic system of ancient Israel. We can apply it figuratively in, in a couple of ways. The, the one way that really stuck out to me is the fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We've not just been forgiven and washed and made clean. We've also been redeemed, and we see that several times in the New Testament. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who is verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, which manifest in these last times for you, etc. Okay, so here we have the, the fact that we were redeemed not with corruptible things as silver and gold. So God didn't pay a monetary value like the Old Testament law required in order to redeem a person uh, back from the law. Right? Instead, he paid a value in gold or in blood, in the blood of Christ. Right? But it, that blood paid for our redemption. You can see it throughout the New Testament. We don't have time to look at all of them, but you've got Ephesians 1, 7, uh, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Titus 2, 14, just, just multiple passages in the Old Testament, saying that, that Christ redeemed us and paid our redemption to bring us back uh, to God. And you can see other passages that talk about the fact that we we sold ourselves into the bondage of sin. You see that in Second Peter, uh, John 8, Romans 6. Uh, Romans 6 is a passage, whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are. Uh, and so talking about not yielding your members as servants unto unrighteousness. So we've, we've sold ourselves into sin, but Christ paid the price of our bondage for us and uh, redeemed us back to himself. So this, this could be similar to uh, the, the account of Boaz redeeming all of his kinsmen's belongings, uh, Elimelech's belongings, and Boaz redeemed those to himself. As part of redeeming Elimelech's belongings, he also redeemed the Ruth and purchased Ruth to himself. And it would be very similar to all this law of redeeming someone back from a vow that was made to the Lord. So, so anyway, as far as the, the New Testament, there's a lot of applications we can make there. Um, a lot of people, a lot of Christians uh, have the practice of dedicating their children to the Lord. Uh, and we could see from the Old Testament that's not supposed to be something light that we just say, okay, you know, yeah, I dedicated my child to the Lord, you know, no big deal. Um, you know, if you dedicate them to the Lord, they belong to the Lord. If you want to redeem them back to you, that's a lot of money, but uh, you know, if you're going to follow that practice of dedicating a, a child to God, as in the Old Testament, well, then you need to follow it all the way through and, and pay a hefty sum of money if you're not going to actually uh, have that kid raised uh, in in the church and uh, serving God, uh, which many people don't think about. They just think, oh, okay, we have a baby dedication, no big deal, and, and they go through it, and then they go on through life as if nothing ever happened. It's a serious thing to, to vow someone to God. Uh, so anyway, a lot of applications to the New Testament, uh, but no direct application. Like this is not a command uh, that we have to follow per se uh, as New Testament Gentiles. All right, any comments or questions?